Hi, and welcome to Tordal Recall, uh, the podcast where we reread Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. My name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her, and I want you guys to introduce yourself, and thanks to Kelly, answer a very good question, which is, what is your favorite medieval weaponry that, if you were training with Kel, would be your your best time for training? Um, and mine is I, something I actually think I would be really horrible at, because I have very bad eyesight but I would like to do archery uh, because I always think it's really cool and girls who do archery are really cool like Susan in Chronicles of Narnia. That's true. Susan is the coolest. Yes so please introduce yourself and tell me about what weaponry you would like to use uh, pacifism notwithstanding. (laughs) Well okay you don't have to use the weapons on people. Anyway my name is Abby and my pronouns are she her and I feel like in real life, it would probably be archery because you don't have to, like, get hit or hit people <laughs> at all. Mm. But Kel makes me really want to do jousting and use a lance because she just makes it look really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also you get to ride a horse while you're doing it. So that's a good benefit. Cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I guess I forgot how the alphabet works for a second. Um, <laughs> we did I, that last time too. None of us ever know. Oh, it's so difficult. Hi, uh, I'm Gus, and my pronouns are they them. And mm, I would like to go on record as saying I'm not a pacifist. I'm just a coward. But um, <laughs> let's see. The um, medieval weapon that I would probably, you know, in like in, in fiction, fiction land, most love to learn how to use. Uh, like tiny daggers? Could I do tiny daggers? <laughs> like, like, would you throw them or stab? Ooh, you want to be the the many many knives? I want to learn to both throw them and stab <laughs> with them because, like, that's real cool looking on screen. That is very yeah. cool. You could be like a rogue archetype, and you could also be the embodiment of the improbable number of knives on person trope, which I'm purpose yes. I'm really oh. fond of. Yeah, right. You could go into a situation where you have to disarm and just take like 10 knives out of your clothes. It's never not funny. I love it so much. Uh, My name is Kelly. My pronouns are she, her. And I was going to go with archery at first too, but I actually think it would be a staff. Again, partially inspired by Kel. But like the idea of like twirling a staff like looks so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I used to try to do that when I was younger with like a broom. And it didn't work. I'm very bad at it, but... <laughs> that's adorable it also is pretty cool isn't that kind of a trope as well like the character who is kind of a pacifist but then like fights mm-hmm. with just a staff mm-hmm. or a cane or whatever I like that. oh so cool <laughs> so we are going to do first for our very first very exciting segment we're going to do some very fast bio because kelly since our last recording has learned some sparrow I might facts. have learned them approximately 30 <laughs> seconds ago, but okay, I really like birds, so I was thinking about what I could do about these birds that feature so prominently in this narrative. First of all, <laughs> I'm pretty convinced that they're house sparrows, Pastor Domesticus, because they live right next to the castle, so house sparrows. House sparrows can be found, according to IUCN Red List, um, on every continent, except it looks like Antarctica. 
They're not native to most of these continents, but that's birds for you. And my other fun fact, according to something called like Bird Facts 101 or something like that, some bad website. <laughs> Seems um, really legitimate. House sparrows eat maybe 830 different types of food, but I wouldn't necessarily trust that fact. But it is a fun fact. So I mean, humans probably eat more than that. So yeah, right. They're sort of like yeah. Well, birds aren't omnivores, yeah. but like it does depend on how you count. You know, if you count every type of seed There's as a, a different food. There's a lot of different seeds out there. Birds are omnivores, right? Yeah. They eat, like, plants and bugs. Yeah, a lot of birds are omnivores. Oh, they do eat bugs. Yeah, That's some of true. them even switch over halfway through the year. Half of the year, they'll be granivores, and the other half of the year, they'll be insectivores in the summer when there are more insects. Ooh. Or in the spring. That's wow. a good bird fact. <laughs> Bonus, Bonus bird, bird fact. Facts. Okay. Anyway, yeah. House sparrows are cute. They're kind of like little uh, trash birds, but I love them. <laughs> Little trash birds. <laughs> Doesn't Kel feed them dried up cherries at some point? That's so cute. She does, yeah. That's cute. I'd eat a dried up ca- cherry. I'm not even a bird. I know, it makes me just really want dried up cherries. <laughs> dried up cherries. Only <laughs> well, you're calling them dried up instead of just dried. <laughs> All right. Um, now we're going to talk about systems of oppression. <laughs> Good transition. <laughs> This is Social Justice Corner. So what facet of social justice are we starting with here? Um, hmm. I mean, do we want to start with class just because that kind of ties into a bunch of stuff? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Do it. Hmm. Then again, I say that and I don't know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess we can kind of talk about the reason that that would be more relevant now than Mm -hmm. in in past Mm -hmm. books. Um, And that's because Cal you know, hires on a servant and has significantly more interaction with people in a very different class than her, um, which makes it pretty stark the way that she um, interacts with her own class, which is, you know, pretty privileged within this framework. And it's also true of a lot of other characters that we've read as protagonists in Tamara Mm -hmm. Pierce books. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting to see that contrast and kind of see how it's written here. Yeah, it's interesting because... You know, Kel is not a commoner protagonist, and we have had a commoner protagonist in Dane, but mm-hmm. she never really faced the issues that, like, native Tortolan commoners do, which we start to see in Kel, you know, in that they just don't have the rights that nobles have, and I think because partially just probably because Jane, Dane never really worked, like, a real job in Tortol, she never got, like, slotted into that system in the lower classes. Right. And like we talked about, she did get really uh, adopted by right, people who totally. were uh, much, you know, higher up than her, including, do we know uh, New Mare's kind of social class background, or is he a similar case where it's like talent leading to him being? I think he's a similar case. I believe he's a commoner, but I'm not. Yeah, I he did go to, to university, that. so okay. I'm not sure what that requires in Karthik, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. For our listeners, we are aware that the, there's a book about this, but we have not read yeah. it yet. It does. We have not yet read it, so it does not exist for us. Yeah. But it will in the future. And it does now in the present, if you are not currently on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's really interesting, in particular in the way that you kind of see Dane 
maybe beginning to think about, or maybe we don't see her thinking about it so much yet, but it kind of causes you to think about. Do you mean Cal? Um, Do you mean Cal? Cal. I do mean Cal. I super mean Cal. Um, But um, Dane might have thought about it too, you know? Maybe I read a lot into the two times she was in this book. Um, I mean, Cal does, like, directly... um, maybe confront or directly have to deal with a really like a really class related issue head on or as Mm -hmm. the case maybe not deal with it in a very specific way which is (laughs) that when um oh who is it is it vincent it's vincent Vincent. a really terrible Mm -hmm. one they're all bad right yeah when vincent is like attempting to essentially assault lalasa um yeah uh and she's you know kel is like you know i can like by all rights, I should be reporting him and, you know, bringing him in front of the court and everything. And Lalasa's like, that would make my life terrible. Please, Please do not do that. Yeah. yeah, so she really doesn't meaningfully have the same right mm-hmm. to safety. And, um, right, and there's even an, an aspect of that, which is, like, Kel not um, confronting Vincent about that in a legal sense in some way makes... Kel feel like it's a mark on her like honor as mm. a noble too mm-hmm. um which right. I thought was really interesting yeah she also in that scene I believe tries like slapping mm-hmm. Vincent to make him yeah. duel her and he refuses to do that and so she partially sees it as like this is a reflection on my honor as right. a noble right. which is a weird well and she's like it. a real noble would take offense to being slapped or whatever which is a weird dynamic yeah it's a weird dynamic but i also found it i don't know i guess pretty plausible as like a way that that class relations get like encoded into like social norms as this thing Mm -hmm. where it's like Mm -hmm. it's like yes the way that we try to enforce like the upper classes maybe in some ways taking care of the people in you know who they're in charge of is that in some ways it is a social norm that you are expected to defend them and that's not a that doesn't work maybe as well as um having having some (laughs) systems in place to actually you you could have some better systems in place to help people yeah right i mean you could have people like have the ability to protect themselves instead of just hoping that the person in charge of them does it but right, we hear Wilden talk about that when Kel first hires Lalasa, he like pulls her aside and is like, It's your responsibility to make sure that she's like taken care yeah. of and you better do oh, that. Oh yeah, I was gonna say that was something I felt pretty weird about reading mm-hmm. this book too. Um, and I'd love to ask you guys more about is sort of like mm-hmm. to some extent, like Kel's using her privilege and her power as a noble to help a person who has less privilege, which is a good thing. Totally. But at the same time, like the sort of attitude around the way she's doing it feels super paternalistic. Right. Like, she's right. your responsibility. Like, you take care of her. And this is, like, another person who's even older than Kel. Right. So, like, how do we parse those two things out? Well, I mean, I was just going to say, I think it's the economic and social system that we see here is uh, that the class system is really tied to, um, like, feudal systems. Mm-hmm. And that's right, the definitely. framework in which Kel is working. Right. But I, I also want to... Um, I guess push against that a little Mm -hmm. bit by saying that we have seen systems that are in place in 
the world that Tamara Pierce is writing in, we've seen them be questioned by the protagonist in meaningful ways that wouldn't necessarily lean into licensing a system that's paternalistic of people who are less privileged than you or whatever. So I, I think that it's sort of like the in-narrative, out-narrative thing. There are points to be made in both in both realms, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I guess an issue mm-hmm. I have with that as well is that it keeps getting treated as like, oh, I can't believe that nobles <laughs> would do this to women as if it's totally yeah. cool and chill and also expected for people in a disprivileged social class to be horrible to women yeah. um you know and we see examples mm-hmm. of men of like lower social classes in lalasa's life who were terrible mm-hmm. to her and i don't think we get the same like someone would do that it's like a noble mm-hmm. would do that or like you shouldn't do that because it doesn't befit you as a noble or whatever yeah yeah i'm curious about how much that um that idea of like you know well a noble is supposed to be chivalrous and a noble should have honor so they shouldn't be doing this stuff like i wonder how much of that is coming through a surprise specifically because kel's 11 and she still believes in that stuff because like i you know i think we have a lot of protagonists like alana is also a protagonist who really believes in like chivalry and honor as a noble but like yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of curious about, like, would Kel's parents also be surprised to hear of a noble doing this, you know? But I did also want to talk a little bit about, like, we see a scene similar to the scene with Vincent and Lalasa with Lalasa mm-hmm. and another servant. Um, and I thought that was interesting because I feel like in this book, Kel is really learning about the ways servants don't have rights and how that affects their life but she's very comfortable with her own rights as Mm -hmm. a noble and exercising those so in that scene you know in the scene with vincent and lalasa she slaps vincent and tries to get him to duel her in the scene with the noble or with sorry in the scene where she confronts the servant she very much just wields her power as a noble and she's like i'm 11 but I'm still just going to order you around. And, you know, I mean, in that scene, it's to protect Lalasa. So, like, she's doing it for a good reason, but she's just also very comfortable exercising authority over an adult man in a way that made me kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think a a lot of this series is about, like, like, uh, in which circumstances and in what ways you use the privileges that you have. But I don't know that it's Mm -hmm. questioned as much um, in, if, I don't know if this series actually brings up like, well, maybe, maybe some of the time, like maybe you should also just be questioning those privileges when you're not using them, or like, right? Maybe you should be like challenging yeah. that, right? And if I do think that Cal is learning about things, but then personally, a book about an eleven-year-old written for young readers, I really want to see a little bit more of that uh, hammered mm-hmm. home. And then she learned, mm-hmm. blank, that people of different circumstances than her also have rich internal lives, perhaps, which I don't <laughs> think really she learned. Um, yeah, I do think that the, that it might get there later right. in the series, but we'll have to keep right. an eye And out. I also think, and we've mentioned this before, but with Kidlet, my personal opinion is that those things should be encapsulated within volumes because kids yeah, don't always right yeah we can't just be like well let's let this mm-hmm. book off the hook for things because like later in the series you know right right like totally. it's worth looking at as both an individual work and as a series right and related mm-hmm. to that like one point i wanted to make sure to 
make when we were having this discussion was how much it annoyed me just in general how much Lalasa is kind mm-hmm. of a tool for Kel's mm-hmm. journey and in particular the yeah. scene where Kel thinks why would someone kidnap a maid to get at her mistress and it's uh. stupid because like I don't know maybe Lalasa has something going on that you don't know about because like she has a whole life yeah. I don't know like she could have gotten in a lot of different situations Right. I mean, and yeah, we do know that, like, Lalasa has had a lot of things happen in her past, you know, and she has a lot of stuff, you know, she has friends that Kel doesn't know about and, you know, hobbies that Kel, I mean, these are things that Kel eventually learns about, which is how we know about them, but, right, she does have other stuff going in her on in her life that are mm-hmm. not just her supporting right. Kel. Um, I did also want to point out another... Not exactly learning experience that Kel has, but another point where Kel thinks about how the system is maybe a problem, which is um, not with servants, but it's when early in the book where they're Mm. hunting down bandits and, you know, they have the really dramatic scene with the bandits. But after they, you know, fight and kill the bandits, Kel spends some time thinking about, you know, well, we should catch bandits and stop them from doing crime, but also a lot of them are farmers who couldn't pay rent and didn't have another way to feed their families. I think it's specifically, I think there's specifically a line in that passage that's like, it was a situation that- I hope you're going to say the exact same thing I want to. It's on page 119. Okay, does somebody want to read it? You can read the sentence. (laughs) There's no easy answer. I don't even need to read it. I remember it because I don't have my book. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Gus. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just thought it was funny that we all were offended enough to be like, this is the line. Yeah. I can't find it actually, so never mind, but yeah. I mean, like, it's not wrong in that there, it is a situation where there isn't a specifically easy answer, especially when you are maybe coming at it from mm-hmm. the perspective of, well, possibly not, possibly, yeah. hmm. My marginalia that I wrote in at this point was accumulation of wealth is a crime. (laughs) That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, what I I wrote down first was um, what a knight can't solve dot 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 is poverty. (laughs) Because I was thinking about it sort of like when people talk about superhero comics, they talk a lot about like, Oh, what makes Superman interesting is that he can fight the criminal, but he can't fight the, like, <laughs> system that created the criminal. Oh, darn, I thought um, it was gonna but... be he can fight the criminal, but he can't fight the crime. <laughs> I guess, I know maybe. Um, but then I went back and I, like, scratched that out, that note, because, I mean, the the interesting thing about this situation is, like, you know, Kel was not personally the landlord that those farmers were failing to pay rent to but presumably it was a noble mm-hmm. right right like so she like, might know them like his that landlord's son might be there like mm-hmm. right totally so uh, yeah i mean these farmers that are turning into bandits across the country they're doing that because a noble is demanding rent of them that they can't pay <laughs> so like nobles are in a position to solve this problem at yeah, a systemic absolutely. level they are and you know who Cal does kind of know? The king. Like, <laughs> she sure yeah, does. So I mean, this book is problematic because they don't change the economic system of Tortal to communism at any point. Come on, <laughs> get with it. This is just my problem with every Tamara Pierce book. They don't abolish the this monarchy. This is the problem with, like, you know, Harry Potter. They never do communism. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so true. They never do. Man, none of these books have communism. <laughs> none of these gosh darn books uh, have communism. The worst. They don't even have democracy. <laughs> what are we teaching our children no. if we're not teaching them communism? If we're not teaching them that, like, every book needs to end with staging a revolution. <laughs> yeah. So if you're reading this book with a kid, I hope you take that time to be like, now Kel says there's no easy answer. But what if we shared our resources? <laughs> no, it's an easy answer communism. <laughs> Nothing's easier and simpler than communism. It's always historically gone great. Oh, God. <laughs> we can't make jokes about this, guys. Please don't okay. send us letters about communism. Yeah, please don't talk please to us do about communism. Please send us letters about communism. <laughs> please only send us letters about communism if you agree with our jokes that you can't maybe tell exactly what our stance is on communism. I'm sorry. Yeah. There our was a lot of like unmarked sarcasm in there. <laughs> um, but to kind of bring it back around Thanks, to, um, I, I genuinely do think that the right way to do law enforcement isn't wait until people get desperate enough to commit mm -hmm. crime and then have the resource you fix it with not be something that would help your people but be law enforcement like right. i don't think that that's yeah. helpful um and that is what's happening and that's that's pretty nuanced for a book mm -hmm. but um you know, it's a nuanced sentiment, and I'm not expecting a perfect critique of the idea of capitalism <laughs> from this book. But well, I it's might... not. It's feudalism, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's yeah. some capitalism, but I, I'm pretty. Isn't feudalism? They're different a economic of... systems, yeah. but they they have many things in common, right. especially on this level. I mean, don't we kind of live in a feudalist system the way <laughs> okay, America okay. is wow. right now? That's right. so deep. <laughs> Um, anyway, I don't expect a nuanced <laughs> critique of the uh, entire economic system, but that is a pretty ignorant sentiment um, for a reader to, you know, not get a, a little bit more interaction with mm -hmm. from the book. Right. I mean, I'm glad that they did that, that the book did indeed, like at least delve into it on the level of saying like, huh, maybe these weren't just evil people who turned to crime because they love it you know? <laughs> yes pirates like it did it did interrogate the whole concept of bandits like a little bit okay kelly said pirates and pirates were also a consequence of an unjust economic system <laughs> tamara pierce you guys tortal again not to make it seem like these are completely separate elements but uh We'll talk a little bit more about race now as part of Social Justice Corner. Abby, you had something you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I just had something that I wanted to sort of mention quickly because um, it's not super related to the plot of the book. But um, uh, it's actually it's a nice thing that I have to say about Jonathan, and I hate that a little bit. <laughs> but the book really dwelt on his choice to not pick Prince Rold as his squire because that's unusual and because Rold is like a character. But it kind of skated over. There was just one line that mentioned that who Jonathan did pick as his squire was Zaheer. Yeah. Which is... I also um, was happy about that. Yeah, it's, it's not like, you know, we know Zaheer is like a bully, which is not a great way <laughs> for your one Zaheer character. Bullying. Sure, he's less of a bully than some of the other bullies. <laughs> but right, so like, we don't have a lot of fondness for Zaheer as a character necessarily, but it's interesting to think about him as, you know, the one fully Bazir kid in page training and I think it's a solid move for Jonathan 
you know, you can have arguments about about the value of the Bazir like assimilating into Tortolan society, but given that Zahir is there and he's trying to become a knight, I think it's a solid choice on Jonathan's part to like stand be- behind him in doing that and pick him as a squire. Uh, and good job, Jonathan, in this one case. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we don't get a lot of Bazir stuff in this series otherwise, so that's kind of a standalone point, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. I think a lot of the stuff that I noticed about race in this book was kind of treading similar ground about the Yamani. Mm-hmm. Not that mm-hmm. that's not worth doing, and it is definitely worth noting that it sort of continues in a similar vein in this book. Um, but I did want to touch on just because we had the listener mail that we read last episode that was about a little bit more touching on tropes of cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely noticed a little bit more that uh, in this book that interaction with that where, where Kel is talking about her uh, sisters like not retaining their Yamani culture mm-hmm. and things like that, which mm-hmm. isn't a culture that belongs to mm-hmm. them. So that was definitely something I noticed. And then as well, again, that there's not really a, it does seem like Cal got specific training, but she keeps referring to it as if it's the monolithic culture of the Yemeni, where it seems like more something that people would purposely study and train for, uh, like the emotionless stuff and things like that wouldn't be part of the entire culture. They would be part of something she studied. So that's Well, it could be note. like yeah. cultural values, which I think has its own problems, but you know, right. it could be a cultural difference between the Yamani Islands, I guess, and Tortal. And we should also mm-hmm. point out that when, uh, Grace, when you say uh, emotionless stuff, it's not, you know, the the state of being emotionless. It's right. just a it's a, a value placed on not... Expressing your emotions. Right, expressing your emotions that. in, you know, not expressing your emotions yeah. in ways that can, in yeah. certain ways. Because I think to... Here we get like the very start of an arc of Kel realizing that that's not always healthy, which is like good in general because I'm like really in favor of people having emotional communication in the way that works for them. And it seems like some of the ways she's doing it aren't working Mm -hmm. for her. But if you're presenting it as the way that a whole culture does emotions and then you're like, but that's not healthy for our white protagonist, Mm -hmm. that's bad optics yeah i will say as a like as a kid i never got the idea that the yamani way of doing things was unhealthy necessarily Mm -hmm. um i I don't know if that's you know it's definitely something that kel moves away from and it's sort of presented as a triumphant moment when she's like you know oh maybe i'm not so yamani after all i'm gonna snark at this person yeah i i don't like that i don't like the idea of her triumph being like i guess i'm not like that culture i adopted now that it's convenient for me not to be i liked it more as like i finally like if you could read it a different way which it's been hard to with that but like i finally feel comfortable enough to like say this stuff you know Mm -hmm. Right. right no i think it really works on that level it's just it feels not great because like the thing that she you know is more comfortable with that she finally like overcomes is specifically tied to this non-white culture. Yeah. Yeah. Sure would be great if we had like more Yamani characters on page. Sure would be. Wow. <sighs> right. Yeah, we did, we already talked in the previous episode about how they killed Princess Chisakami um mm-hmm. completely off-screen. So I don't think we need to rehash that, but worth noting. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's not a great way to treat one of your only named non-white characters. Right. And worth, I think, worth restating in this section because it remains true that there are 
no white character or no there's many <laughs> white characters <laughs> no named Giovanni characters and like there's one oh there's uh, one the named Shang Giovanni character the Shang warrior Queen Seastone yeah mm-hmm. who's also repeatedly noted to be like not a not normal Imani, Imani. Yeah. right so if you really wanted to bring those cultural values in, a great way to do that would be to have more characters mm-hmm. that represent them instead of one person who's adopting the culture that's not an appropriate. I feel the like there's so many ways, like even just staying at court, like there could totally be like ambassadors. I mean, there and- definitely are ambassadors, right? Because they're in the middle of working out a very yeah. complex treaty. So like those characters are at court. The ambassadors are Kel's parents, who are also white. <laughs> well, I think the I think the they're the ambassadors from Tortal to the Yamani. I think there must right. also be Yamani ambassadors to Tortal who are around. We just never see them. Yeah, yeah, which is weird because like Kel must know them. She spent right. Years in she the almost court. certainly knows them. Very weird overall. Yeah, we'll see more of this next book. We, can talk <laughs> we more sure will. Yeah. I would like to talk about Lalasa in this context. Ooh, oh, go okay. for it. Yeah, so we aren't really told much about Lalasa and her, like, ethnic background at all. Mm-hmm. Um, her last name is Isran, which reads a little bit Middle Eastern yeah, it does. to mm-hmm. me. She's she's also described as dark in a classic Tamara Pierce case of not <laughs> telling us a goddamn thing about what, what that means. What does dark mean? <laughs> but... First of all, she's great, and I, every single time I talk about her, I have to talk about how great she is. Um, and... She and her girlfriend are really cute. It's part of the text. Don't at me. But good reading, Gus. It's a very good as in I want that I want that character. It's bad as in, boys, could that be a better written character? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, she's written fine, she's, but she she's is written fine. experiencing a lot of trauma and not treated well because Right, of the it. specific thing I want to talk about with that is... Um, this thing which has, uh, I think, come up before in the third Alana book, um, Woman Who Rides Like a Man, and possibly the third Dane book? Anyways, just, uh, there's a point where Lolasa said that it's talking about Gower and how Gower's, like, been, like, really decent to her and is, like, mm-hmm. like super gentle, would never hurt a fly, is a great guy. And she says, Dad always said Uncle had strange ideas learned here up north. Which is a sentiment oh, yeah. we've heard... I'm pretty sure in both uh, the Racist Alana book and the Racist Dane book. Oh, yeah. I was in the Sorry for just, like, um, uh, <laughs> categorizing those books yeah, as those know, things. Those but I, I don't like that it keeps being repeated over and over or even yeah. framed this way without being unpacked more. That mm-hmm. in the North, where uh, people are largely white and which is a largely European-based culture... Uh, violence against women doesn't happen. Yeah. Except, Except all the all time. The time. Yeah, well, right, I mean, the like, time. these books are, are, I mean, not the Dane series as much, but the Alana and Kel series are about how Tortal is a deeply sexist society, right? Yeah. So it's so wild for it to be framed as enlightened. It's, like, certainly Tortal has um, some cultural norms. You know, there's, like, the Temple of the Goddess, which is all about, mm-hmm. like, protecting specifically women i'm rolling my eyes over here from sexual assault (laughs) um people of all genders get sexually assaulted everybody needs to be protected blah 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 blah. oh my god i hate everything (laughs) it's been a rough couple months (laughs) y'all um it's bad in the world it sure is bad in the world uh but yeah um i 
I don't like this sentiment that keeps being repeated without ever being explored or unpacked. I agree. Thank you for bringing up that it happened here. I think that would be easy to skate over, but it's Mm -hmm. definitely a consistent representation. Uh, I also want (laughs) to briefly, briefly say something that I forgot, which is Cal complains about Gower not showing emotion. <laughs> oh my god, Cal. Cal. That's wild. That's I don't even know what category that falls under. <laughs> All of them. Just bad. Like the oh zero self-awareness god. category. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is Which like I guess maybe it's more like oh he frowns but like still. Right. Like he's like, fairly gloomy. He shows an emotion and yeah. it is gloom. Sure. But I love that about him. That's so strange, though. Right. I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe it would, like, ping her Yamani-influenced radar just because, like, right, he's displaying a negative emotion. It doesn't read that that way. Yeah. No. (laughs) Anyways, I love Gower. Sorry, that was, like, not the right section for that. I just suddenly remembered it. Maybe we should take the, the... Violence against women bridge into feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Our favorite bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think we did, we talked about this a lot last episode, and it does seem like we have um, kind of different opinions, which is fine, because there's lots of different ways to read the Mm -hmm. same book and the same experience. Mm -hmm. But personally, I still, from a feminism point of view, have a real problem with the way that Lalasa's clear experience of PTSD and trauma is treated I think she deserves a lot more empathy from the narrator Uh of the text and even if the narrator is young still more empathy in the text would be great because you know there's a lot of people who have been through trauma and that causes them to act different ways some of those ways might be frustrating Mm -hmm. but once you learn about the trauma it might help you have more empathy and that would be a great thing to represent yeah um yeah I think I think we mostly covered that um, in the previous episode, so I don't think we have to have, like, a whole conversation about that again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I think it's relevant for feminism mostly because it kind of plays into the idea of, like, some women with more privilege uh, experience the experience of being a woman differently mm-hmm. from women with less privilege, mm-hmm. and then they there's this way of thinking, well, there's one right way to be a woman, and it's strong, and if you've had th- ways that affect you that cause you to act not mm-hmm. like that, you're, like, not correctly representing being a strong woman or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah there's also something interesting that i haven't really thought about that deeply so i don't know if i have like anything really smart to say about it but you know we we've seen you know kel had a traumatizing experience in her youth Mm -hmm. where her brother held her over a tower and now she's afraid of heights to the point where she has like full-on panic attacks Mm -hmm. whenever she's on a height and i think that's like the way that that's treated in comparison to Lalasa's trauma is interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, I How I read that, or, and I don't know if this is a generous reading or just, I don't know. Like, tell me if I'm, if I'm giving too much credit here. But the way I read it is that it's showing that there's a large spectrum of traumatic experiences and ways that mm-hmm. trauma can happen and be experienced. And... I thought it seemed to do a pretty good job at being like, these aren't equivalent experiences, but they are perhaps mm-hmm. like a way that you can, you can like look at, oh, this really bad thing happened to me. And now I'm like these things, it changed the way that I act and see the world. And it can maybe be a way for you to empathize mm-hmm. with 
Like, that was, I think, a point where Kel did sort of experience some empathy for Lalasa mm-hmm. and sort of... Did Kel ever, ever make the connection between those two events at all? I thought she did. Yeah, well, I think the context yeah. is specifically Lalasa says something like, you're never afraid, and Kel says, like, yeah. no, actually, like, here's a scenario where I'm very afraid. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And I do think that's good, a good conversation. I guess I would have liked to see a little bit more of Lalasa think or of Kel thinking of Lalasa as brave because I think Lalasa is really brave. Yeah, and I, I agree. Like got that from the book, but I don't know if I would have gotten it. In fact I don't think I got mm-hmm. it as a kid. As a kid I think I thought she was scared yeah. and weak because that's how Kel thinks of her and that's how the narrative I mean I do I like I like are. the moment in the climax where um I think Kel does explicitly I can't remember exactly what she says, but I think there is a moment in the climax, you know, when they're on the tower and um and Kel thinks, like, you know, well, the, you know, Lalasa has been up here all night or, you know, mm-hmm. has, was, has been, like, really scared all night. And she's actually being really brave right now. Um, right. And I thought that was a unimportant moment. Yeah, yeah. I liked mm-hmm. that a lot, too. I have a happy thing about Lalasa. Like, first yeah. of all, another female character that's, like, prominently <laughs> featured. So exciting. Yeah. Right, and sure. she's not even a fighter. Yeah, oh, and she, her. like... She engages in, like, totally different activities than, like, the other characters have been doing. Like, she's sewing. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, presented as a positive thing, that she's sewing and that she really likes sewing. And that's something she's good at. And that's really cool. It's really nice. And she even has, like, another female friend who's not just Yeah, I actually really love the degree to which um, her friend Tian is, like, girlfriend. Okay, yes, her... Sorry. (laughs) I wasn't clear on whether they were dating yet. I know they're deeply in love. Um... Thank I you. don't want to. This is the only thing that's important to yes. me. Okay, so her girlfriend Tian, who um, I I just love. I actually love that she's a really minor character, and that Kel doesn't know her very well, and that Lalasa just has this friendship with her, like almost completely. Yeah. Sorry, relationship with her, like almost completely <laughs> off screen. Um, I love that. It just. I mean, yeah. certainly, I would love to hear more about them, and um, mm-hmm. but also it just. You know, it just feels Yeah, like... I don't know. There is just, like, Lalasa's just really having a rich inner life yeah. over there, which is really yeah. nice. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of monitoring the Wilden situation, and I'm still not thrilled with it. Mm-hmm. Now we're supposed to like him because he likes dogs? That doesn't help. He's still After they fight the bandit rebel. fight, and Kel finishes fighting, he's like, now that you've seen blood, you want to go home, right? No! <laughs> It's oh, like, the worst. That was so um, bad. Many women see lots of blood. Was that like Harry Potter Thestral rules? Because she <laughs> did see blood in the previous book. <laughs> like, she definitely was in a fight where, like, people died in the... At least that one woman who was kidnapped by Spiderns died, yeah. even if no one else did. So, like, in her childhood, yeah. Wilden was just really holding out hope, okay? <laughs> it's like the end of the fourth Harry Potter book where, like, death just hadn't sunk in yet. And, like, it didn't until she fought in this book, and now suddenly it counts. And even at the end, like, yeah. after she after she doesn't take the exam, and he, like, wakes her, like, wakes her up at her bedside, which, first of all, I thought was kind of creepy. But <laughs> continuing past that, and he's, like, and she... He says, don't you have any excuses? And she says, no, I don't have any excuses. You told us not to make excuses. And he's like, oh, if only you were a boy. Yeah. Which I think, I know we're supposed to read that as, oh, I hate him. Yeah, I think we're supposed to read that as like a total victory mm-hmm. for her. It's not. It sucks. But then she thinks to herself, well, I like being a girl. And I was like, good for you. Yeah. For yeah, you. that was, I, I really enjoyed her saying in her narration, I like being a girl. That made mm-hmm. me really happy. But 
Right. Yeah, no, Wilden is terrible. Also, she sort of gives him credit for like, oh, he mentioned the goddess <sighs> in his prayer for the first time. Like, wow, finally he will recognize a woman is if she's literally a goddess, <laughs> literally like the most powerful divine being. And like a major part of the faith system of their right. culture. Like, <laughs> like, this is not him really like reaching out and being an ally. Mm-hmm. There was a point oh. where, I don't even remember where this was, um, a point where just, there was just, like, a lot of, a lot of language at once, um, where Kel was talking about, like, how she was, like, she's like, oh, I can't go into hysterics, um, I can't go completely right. female, then again, what's oh, wrong yeah. with being hysterical? Which is like, yeah, okay, or like, what's wrong with female. being- female. Yeah, right, like, what's, what's wrong with being hysterical? But also, that phrasing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did not like that. And it- it is just, like, this book is good in a lot mm-hmm. of ways as letting Cal be someone who's, like, feminine and enjoys aspects mm-hmm. of that, but mm-hmm. still, um, and says, I like being a girl yeah. and stuff. So that's good in a lot of ways, you know? It's not a kind of feminism that rejects feminine characteristics, which we've seen yeah. before. Uh, but, like, somehow we're not completely away from that? I don't really know. That was, like, shocking. I was not expecting uh, it. I wanted to talk about something which is kind of related to that. So one thing that really resonated with me in these books is like when Kel is going through puberty in them and like when she gets past mm-hmm. and when she gets her period and that like mm-hmm. really upsets her and mm-hmm. I don't know what your guys' feelings were about that but I really related to that because that's kind of how I felt when I went through puberty like for better mm-hmm. or for worse I was like why like I don't want this and I thought that was especially like when the Alanid books they were kind of like oh you know your badge of honor so I kind of like seeing a different right. perspective yeah. of like I'm not ready for these kinds of changes in my life. I don't know. Right. Especially if you're someone who reads both books Mm -hmm. and then you can see kind Mm -hmm. of that both ways are an okay way to feel about that. And I also liked the representation of like being like, oh, I feel like this, I'm too young to have Mm -hmm. to do this or whatever. I think that's also important. Yeah. Gus pointed out when we were talking about it a while ago that both the Alana book and this book had the same sort of phrasing about like I don't like my body doing things without like informing me or something like <laughs> yeah. that. So I do feel like Tamara Pierce just has like one thought about periods and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I did find them very similar in that they're both these kids being extremely distressed about mm-hmm. uh, their bodies changing and talking to somebody and that somebody being like, Hey, chill out. It's fine. <laughs> right. This happens. Yeah. A lot of people love it and are happy with it and just really yeah, love it. Right. Which, not relatable, honestly. Right, and at least this book wasn't like, and it's time for you to unquestioningly accept the gender that I assigned to you. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, this one was not nearly as traumatic just because, like, Kel did know about periods before she got oh, yeah, one, right. which is so much better. Yeah, she's like, oh, yes. My many older sisters and also mother have warned me, and I am well informed. It is so convenient that I know women. You know, like, on a, on a level of, like, you know, being relatable to kids, like, sure, there are many, many kids who get periods and are like, I've mm-hmm. never been talked to in my entire life about any of this. Right. I was thinking, like, statistically, these books have got to, like, be the period talk for some kids, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, some kids definitely learn about periods from these books. Thanks, TP. <laughs> right. It's something I really appreciate about these books, and something that I actually see brought up a lot is that kids can read about that first, and, you know, whatever mm-hmm. their experience with it is otherwise, mm-hmm. like, 
seeing in the book is makes it a lot less sh- shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and less scary, probably. Right. Yeah. I also noted the line that Kel says about periods, which is, my mom gets hungry for sweets. She ate a whole cake once, which Same. is just charming and relatable. And I love Elaine of Midland. <laughs> oh, she's pretty yeah. cool. She's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Eat I like cakes. It. Great with And she stories. can yell at people. Like when she comes in, the police yeah. officers have Kel and she's like, um, no, I'm shutting this down. <laughs> Do you have anything else we want to say? About yes, yes, I guess yes. I, okay. Yes. It seems like several things. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's try and make them relatively quick. Go. Okay, Joran is creepy with his creepy, like, I'm your friend now, but also I still hate you and women. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> I hate him. Yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about his evil femininity, but I'm yeah. still not into yeah. that. Yeah, but right, he definitely also, like, I don't know, He he's really interesting as a, like, misogynist character, because, yeah. like, you know, the way he's, like, friendly to her, but then is, like, Oh, you know, you could marry, like, just, that's what you want to do, right? And, right. Like, you're not even, like, you're not that ugly. Right. Yeah, and, and still very reads, like, reads as very woman-hating, even though he's trying to be feminine to her, and or friendly to her, sorry. <laughs> oh, God. I liked that Tamar Pierce did that, though, and sort of presented, like, look, like, there are multiple yeah. kinds of ways that this prejudice shows itself. So. Yeah, definitely. Right. I talked about this a bit with um, Cleon in the uh, earlier, the, the first test episode, um, but I like the ways that we see even Kel's friends, like, replicating misogyny. I mean, like, she's mm-hmm. not right. friends with right. people who are, you know, who are, like, just extremely terrible to her. But also she's in, she's in a deeply misogynistic culture and a deeply mis- misogynistic, um, like, school system essentially where she's just surrounded by boys yeah. and you know if she makes friends a bunch of them are going to be like I mean at times kind of bad and like we see that with Cleon in the way that he he treats her um which in this book he kind of acknowledged was a little bit he was like yeah I, I just realized I was kind of uncomfortable with that too um which <laughs> yeah. Cleon you have I appreciate a that he apologized for that yeah it was nice to see him apologize for that um and nice to see it acknowledged too that that was maybe not the best behavior from him um yeah, yeah also it was like Esmond or Seaver or some really minor character who called him out and yeah. shout right. outs to that person <laughs> right and I like the modeling of like this is how you call someone out mm-hmm. who's your friend we also see that from character who we all love Owen yeah mm-hmm. uh, Owen like has Oh, you're a real girl. Oh, you're now. a real girl now. Shut up, Owen. Yeah, make some you're comment baby, about her like, about her chest. Like, you know, yeah. uh she's as good as us, you don't have to treat her like a girl. Like like Owen is just like that well meaning kid who just like has heard just like a bunch of like he's he's grown up in a pretty pretty misogynistic world and he's right. just like that's just what he thinks is acceptable. And you're just like, oh, right. somebody needs to tell this kid. Yeah, it's right. it's not like he's deeply prejudiced or openly prejudiced, but he does just, like, have those ideas in his head. He's not being malicious. It's just... Yeah. Right. And people do people right. do talk to him, and they're like, maybe you shouldn't say that. And he's like, what? It's true. And they're like, no, maybe you shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is related to what I was um, wanted to bring up, which is, you know, to be clear, this is not a critique of these books, but, like... I just, while I was reading this book, I was thinking a lot about, I think there's, like, a Tumblr post that's, like, 
what if Jonathan hadn't talked Princess Callison out of becoming a page and she was a page at the same time as Kel and there were like I love several that. girls who were pages and it's just like, wow, imagine that world. It's so amazing because, <laughs> right. you know, there are a lot of female characters mm-hmm. in these books, which is great. And it's great that Kel has more of that support system than Alana did, but there's still, you know, there are no other female pages. So Kel is effectively the only girl in her school. And that's, right. um, you know, even though her male friends are great and, uh, you know, for the most part, they're like really, you know, they're nice kids. You know, as Gus pointed out, they still like they they have a lot of these like prejudices in their head. And I, I feel like that that's just, you know, a very isolating experience. It's definitely, I guess, part like a big part of how I relate to Kel, because as a, a science-interested kid who then became an engineering major for a while, and I switched majors, but now I have a math degree. So I spent a lot of time in classes where I was the only girl, and, like, it's it's not good, you know? Even when all the, all the boys in your class are, like, really nice and really welcoming, it still just feels very, like, you know, very isolated. And I, I just, you know, not, you know, I think it's a good experience to show and it was very relatable for me as a kid. So I don't think it's like a problem with the books that it's like that. But just I wish for Kel that there would be another girl in this program, you know? <laughs> right. I really liked the girl, too, at the banquet who was like, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Like, I'm like rooting, rooting for you, basically. Like, I like that community building and I wish we got a little bit more of it. Yeah. So I was just like a lot of the time while I was writing this, I was just or while I was reading this, I was just mentally writing fan fiction like. You know, what if Princess Callison had become a page? What if after Kel's probation year, like, uh, another girl conv- convinced her parents? And, like, you know, what if... I love Owen, but, like, what if instead of Owen, we just got another female page? And, like, mm-hmm, right. you know, that's... I think the books are good the way they are, but I also just, like... Like, I I had that experience of, like, having a lot of male friends and, like, being in a lot of classes where I was the only girl. And, like, it was fine. And I liked my male friends. But also just, like, I wish that Kel had peers who were female. I think that, you know, I just think that everyone should get to have that. (laughs) I feel like these are just, like, the books where everything suddenly gets really sexual. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) <laughs> like Kel develops breasts and gets crushes within like the same day, <laughs> girl. Um, yeah. But also, like I don't think we really have a, a queer stuff section here. But Kel has a crush on Dane. Kel has a crush right. on Dane. Just, she really does. Right. She had to stop She's in the stairwell dead. to collect herself after talking to Dane. Just wanted to put that. Wait, out I there. missed this. Oh man, I'm gonna reread. I'm gonna reread. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Cool. Listen, I guess Neil has good taste. Uh, probably she has a crush on Dane because of how nice Dane is to her dog. Yeah, they bond over Relatable. that dog. Also, can we talk about like how hilarious it is that Dane will like be friends with any animal and provide a home for any animal, but she will not help a page not break the rules. <laughs> like she will not <laughs> find another home for that dog. <laughs> <laughs> or talk to the dog and be like, maybe she did talk the, to the dog and be like, this is how we're going to like get through <laughs> without you getting <laughs> Kel in trouble. But yeah, like, we don't maybe. see it. I believe it happened. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's a good friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, slash crush. Crush Kel time, crush time. Cleon. Okay, so I'm still mad at Cleon because of all those flowery names. And I feel like it's, it's, I just, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. 
the crush is like Cleon's crush on her is kind of cute, but like also I he's still quite a like bit him. older than her though. Like, isn't he fourteen and she's eleven? He's a couple years older. No, I think he's thirteen when she's eleven. We've read worse, but yeah, <laughs> we've read. I mean, we have read worse, but that doesn't mean it's great necessarily. No, it's still not good. They're little kids. They're like both middle school age. I don't think it's bad. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, they're in the same school. Program. I think it is worth noting that he is mm-hmm. like in the next stage of you know he's a rank above her that's kind of worth noting well right he becomes a squire while she's still a page but yeah they also haven't like done anything at this point i don't know it is it's kind of a cute crush it has some cute moments Mm -hmm. it's also a little bit like pigtail pulley which is not my favorite dynamic that our society has normalized of like (laughs) because it you know it has its roots in him basically lightly bullying her right which is not great. Yeah, I gotta say, the fact that Cleon's best moment is the part where he was like, oh no, I was maybe a little bit cruddy to you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe doesn't speak the best of him. Right. Yeah. But also, it did win me over. That moment was very like, sweet. Like, kiddo. I'm glad that we yeah. didn't try and shift into like, oh, this is a possible romantic relationship without having mm-hmm. the apology. Mm-hmm. I think that was like an essential. Mm-hmm. It was nice. So, I'm glad of that. Mm-hmm. And... I, so far, am, like, fine with Kel's crush on Neil, surprisingly, but I thought it was, it was kind of nice to see, like, that sort of age gap crush, which I feel like mm-hmm. often really does happen, mm-hmm, right. like, you're pretty young, and you, like, might get crushes on your teachers and stuff, but it's just, like, you know, he's a lot older than her, so unlike in most other Tamara Pierce books, nothing right. happens. And I also, like, I have no problem with the dynamic of, like, an, a younger person falling for an older person. I mean, that's yeah, just going to happen. That that's happens. how crushes yeah. are. I think it was a very believable, like, right. first crush. Right. And, like, yeah. I think that's so viable, too, that a lot of times if you, like, have a close friend and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. suddenly things are changing, you know? Like, yeah. that's an experience. <laughs> that's very relatable. Right. Like, this yeah. this boy doesn't intimidate me and compulsory <laughs> heterosexuality exists. So yeah. <laughs> the boxes are checked. Crush go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked that depiction because I feel like, I, at least in the other books, it seems like they like get crushes on people and like almost mm-hmm. right away, like they're together. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty fast. Yeah, there's a lot of crushes that happen here that are just like, you know, like happen in different ways. Like Neil has all these like elaborate romantic crushes yeah. and he like <laughs> writes poetry for them, but he never wants to like actually do anything about he's it. He's in love with the queen. Yeah, no, he's just a teen having crushes. <laughs> he's just a teen having crushes. He just enjoys having crushes. Wants to write yeah. some poems about the pretty yeah, queen. Yeah, right. I'm a mopey boy. We talked about the them hitting him with bread last time, but we didn't talk <laughs> about friendship the moment. point where... Um, where they all sing a soppy love song outside his window, oh, yeah. which was both very, very cute. And also I feel like for Neil, that must have just been such a stark moment of all of my friends are preteens. Yeah. <laughs> they can't understand yeah. me. Yeah, I'm a 16-year-old trying to be in love here. <laughs> Everyone I know is 12. Everyone's making fun of me. I basically only have younger brothers and no other friends. Yeah. <laughs> Just 10 younger brothers, one Kel, and no other friends. <laughs> oh my gosh. Poor Neil. Yeah, and then they continue to tease him by his singing the same song in class yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Poor child. <laughs> Kel and all the other pages must be, like, at the stage where they think kissing is gross, and Neil is there, like... <laughs> I'm so sure. And Neil's like, I'm in love with the queen. Leave me alone to write romantic poetry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I also appreciated that Kel had this sort of friendly relationship with Yulene uh, of Hanaloff, mm-hmm. and... You know, Neil got a crush, and Kel was a little jealous, but she was also very much like, can't 
be mean to her because of this. I still really like her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was really good. And mm-hmm. also that she mm-hmm. didn't, like, bad talk Neil. Yeah. Like, she mm-hmm. still was like, oh, yeah, Neil's a nice guy. Like, you should yeah. talk to and him. And it was difficult for her, too. Like, it right. was a thing where she, like, genuinely was like, oh, I really like it. Like, this this feels uncomfortable. And I don't like it. But she, like, mm-hmm. you know. She, but, like, I still have to be nice. Still have to be right. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I still mm-hmm. like this yeah. person, you know? Right. Kelly and Neil's friendship is really good in this book, too. Mm-hmm. It's um, really good. Overall, but also for me, because it's never, like, they're very a well-written relationship in that, like, it doesn't really take center stage much at all. And really Mm -hmm. any, we don't get a lot of Kel and Neil scenes, except that you just can tell the whole time that they're such a steady, important part of each other's lives. Mm -hmm. Like, Neil is there to be like, hey, come on, we're going to be late for this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they obviously walk to class together and talk about their problems and do homework and all this stuff, and it never drops away or isn't an important thing even though they mm-hmm. don't get a lot of like moments mm-hmm. can we talk about the best friendship <laughs> moment which i think we talked about last time but after the podcast was over which is when kel kel asks neil i think maybe when they're about to go to the third year test or something like oh do you ever regret <laughs> dropping out of oh, baby med school so um to be a knight or to be, try to become a knight when you're so mm-hmm. much older than the rest of us and he says a bunch of things about it but then he says also like I would gladly miss out on all of med school so I could be friends with you. Yeah, it's so very good. beautiful. Also, like, it's so cute. They talk about their own friendship at one point, and Kel is like, "Yep, I tell him to eat his vegetable," and they kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. they have a really good dynamic. I really like it. I love a jock nerd friendship. Right. I also think that they've got just like. This book has some of the best, like, Neil Kel banter. Like, there's yeah. a few really good moments. I mean, I think the, the best one is when he says, I suppose Jorn could have changed. I myself have noticed a gr- my growing resemblance to a daffodil. <laughs> and Kel says, you do look a bit yellow around the edges. I hadn't wanted to bring it up. And Neil says, we daffodils like to th- have things brought up. It reminds us of spring. <laughs> Which is just right. very uh-huh. cute. Like, they don't have a lot of, like, you know, they don't have a ton of interaction, but they have some good banter. Right. And then that you could know, like, oh, that's how they talk to each other. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I do. We've talked about this before, but uh, Tamara Pierce writes some good dialogue. And this book, like, really is a good example of that for mm-hmm. me. She writes good dialogue, good snark, good friendship mm-hmm. dialogue. Like, yeah, it's just fun to read. Yeah. She's really good at showing that her characters are comfortable with each other and know each other well, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's some good friendships. Um, are we ready to move? I, into wait, a, I have yeah. a couple friendship things. Okay. One, Owen introduces Lalasa to his little cousins as yeah. she sews and she knows all kinds of ways to hurt you, which is <laughs> just very very good. I, just and best. just Owen, like Cal's friendship with Owen, it's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that Owen keeps bringing her more, more and more babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just keep being smaller and smaller children showing up at her door, we and like Kel and Lalasa yeah. like helping tutor them together was very cute. It was really yeah. cute. I liked that a lot. Ida Bell wrote to Kel's parents to tell them that she did really good at fighting bandits, and I just Aww. good women support there. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to... I think that's all the friendship. Oh, Raul was there. I don't think he's Kel's friend yet, but he's my friend, so I wanted to mention that. <laughs> I know, my big friend. They had a really good conversation, yeah. He's also just very good and supportive. That was yeah. great. I'm pretty sure my margin note at that point was a friend-shaped man. Yeah, he's <laughs> shaped like a friend. 
<laughs> they don't like they've met like two times but already he's a friend because he just is a friend that's who he is to all yeah all right are we ready to move into what do we, animal friends we have to we no. have to mention that animal friendship exists yeah. and jump was here and there were good animal jump friendships sure and peach here. blossom is is kel's friend for the rest of everybody's life oh yes, yes. new life friend yeah new life friend yeah. Right, she had a line where she said something about, like, what would she do without Peach Blossom? No other horse would feel like riding an avalanche. And that's like... <laughs> so that's not how horses are supposed to yeah. feel, I think. Why does she think that's something she can't live without? <laughs> Look, she also can't live without lead-weighted practice weapons. Oh my god, weapons. I love Cal. She's ridiculous. She's just like, oh my god, can you imagine if anything wasn't as hard as it could possibly be? <laughs> what would I do with myself? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Aurora isn't here to confirm, but I'm pretty sure horses isn't supposed to feel like avalanches. <laughs> Probably. But Horse I'm not avalanche. Sure Blossom feels, and it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Kelly, Kelly, for your expertise. I'm a biologist. <laughs> it's really important. Yo, it's time for night vision. Okay. Wait, is night vision spoilers? Oh, Kelly's Amy. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I need to take out, I need to take out my headphones. I'm gonna take out my headphones and like signal me really obviously when I should okay. come back in. Right. So we're gonna do we're gonna talk about spoilers. Kelly's gonna leave. There's gonna be music, and then when we stop talking about spoilers, there'll be more music. So just skip ahead to that if you don't want to hear spoilers. Right, time for spoilers. Who's got a spoiler? Okay, this is a really, really minor thing, but I does Merrick have any characteristics in these books other than he's the friend who gets hurt I think a he lot? He has red hair. <laughs> he he does have red hair, but I feel, <laughs> I feel like his only role is that like he's always like in the first book he was a bullying target, and in this book he got shot, and I'm pretty sure he gets shot again in a future book. And just like, is that his role? Is he's like Kel's friend who just gets hurt? I don't can't think of anything yeah. else he does. I do. I, I have another note of one thing that he did, which is he he was at the tactics lessons, and he was like, "Oh, this is really boring. I don't want to learn about <laughs> tactics." Well, maybe if you knew about tactics, you wouldn't get shot. Right. In, in the fourth book, isn't he, like, in charge of, like, patrols at Kel's I camp? guess he had some character development. Spoilers, yeah. Merrick has some off-screen character development. <laughs> well, it might be on-screen. I don't remember anything he does in Squire. Is he there? I don't know. Is Merrick a character anyone cares about? Let me know in an email. Like, Abby, I would die for Merrick. <laughs> I want to read those emails. Please send me those emails. Tell me all your feelings about Merrick as a character. Any other stuff? Oh, if we're still, if we're still like continuing the farce, then people don't know who what who's giving the our, gifts. Our very to funny Kel. joke that we made. <laughs> very funny and not obviously staged joke. Well, who could the mysterious benefactor be? We still don't know. I mean, I legitimately, like, the first time I read the Kel books, I had not read the Alana <laughs> books, so Goddess Bless was not an obvious tell. 
you know? So I didn't know who it was. I guess if you haven't read the Alana books, it might just not be out. I think if you haven't read the Alana books and you're an adult, you would probably (laughs) still guess. But I was also a small child. I read the Cull books, actually, I thought it might have been the uh, priestess because it says Mm. goddess and then she meets the priestess and that's all I knew. That's true. She sure does. The priestess is not really a major character. But how would you know? She serves the priest. The one she, like, serves in Okay, apparently I didn't actually register anything that happened in this book. Yeah. She exists. She's fu- She's uh, not a okay. character. Um, but I did, like, you know, at the end of this book, uh, Stefan ke- kem- comes and is like, here, I like someone bought Peach Blossom for you. And I just really like the image of Alana, like, going to Stefan and being like, how's Kel doing? And he's like, great, but I'm worried that she won't be able to buy this horse. <laughs> And they just have a good conversation about horses. Anyway. Do we have any mm-hmm. other spoilers? I think it's also interesting just for listeners of this podcast to mention that um, both uh, that Kelly and Amy both have different ideas about who Kel is going to end oh, up yeah. with at the end of oh, these books. Oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that'll be fun to talk about in the Wait, future. Wait, what are their ideas? I think that, um, well, they're both, they've both expressed this as, I'm worried that Kel's going to end up with. Yeah. Um, but Amy thinks it's going to be Cleon, and Kelly thinks it's going to oh, be Neil. I love the end of these books, y'all. Yeah. Oh, um, me too. Rad. Very excited and for a good that. Thing we, I think these, these books, if I remember correctly, do mm-hmm. relationships decently well. Yeah. So, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think I'm going to have a lot to say about Kel's, like, sexual and romantic outlook when we get to the yeah. fourth book, but we should save we that should. for the but fourth book. But that's a spoiler about our podcast. Abby will talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Spoilers for Tortal Recall. Yeah. All right. Now, how do we signal Kelly? Just wave a lot. Wow, it seems like a lot of fun stuff happens. Also, my mouth is full of bubble bubbles. We so. <laughs> spent the whole time just talking about you, and it was all a ruse to get you to go away so we could talk about you. <laughs> yeah, we just wanted oh, to gossip God. about you behind your back. Oh my God, we're bad friends. Why would we say that? <laughs> I was oh. joking. That's it's why my, I it's my it. time to come up with fan theories, right? Right yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, do any fan theories you have. Okay, the theory? first fan theory, which is the easiest one, which I think is the highest likelihood of actually being true, is I think that Kel's going to be chosen as Rose Squire. And the second fan theory, which I think has a lower probability of becoming true, is that Lalasa will also like go on the road with Kel and they'll fight evil together, like magical girl team style, and just pick up more girls along the way. And we'll also have a super awesome, like evil fighting magical girl group without the magic. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's such a good fan fan theory. theory Slash fan fiction if you want to write it and email it to us. And while I was thinking of that, I had the Sailor Moon song playing in my head. That's perfect. But yeah, I mean, we can tell you the real truth, which is that everyone becomes animals. Yes! Oh my god, I would read that. (laughs) The real truth, which is that everyone is magical girls all along. Yeah. Oh my god. Bless. Anyway, we should probably move on to the next non-spoilery segment. So this is the Chamber of the Ordeal. We're going to give some ratings to this book. Who wants to go first? We rate on nostalgia, um, animal friendship, and who would you recommend this book to? This is hard for me just because 
I love this series so much, and I feel like I shouldn't be giving mm-hmm. them all, like, perfect scores. <laughs> but maybe you should. <laughs> you did give this book five stars on Goodreads. Yeah, uh, A plus for nostalgia. I'm not doing letter ratings today, I guess. Just gonna run with it. Um, uh, a plus for nostalgia. Uh, it was beautiful. As always, of course, there's a couple things in there where you're like, hmm, this isn't great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're rating on nostalgia. Sometimes nostalgia is just feelings. And the feeling that I got from this one was the warm, fuzzy feeling. (laughs) And also some, like, other emotions. But just some real good, (laughs) some real good banter. We've talked about it. Some real good friendship. Some real cute crushes that are just like, this is handled in a way that doesn't make me feel creepy. Just some some real good teens being teens. The uh, animal friendship. You know, I don't have really... I'm... I know I'm terrible. I don't have really strong feelings about these specific animal friends. I know everyone loves Jump, and I'm just a terrible heretic. He's a good dog. <laughs> I'm, he's a good dog. I'm also not, like, like completely enthralled by Jump. Like, he's Neither a good animal friend. Dog people, though, we're not so dog people. We're not dog people, it's biased. true. Yeah, we're you not dog to... people. And, like, look, I love Peach Blossom. There wasn't a ton of Peach Blossom content. There wasn't. Yeah. But not a ton of sparrows. that rides like an avalanche. Like, Kel did get really emotional about not being able to keep Peach Blossom and then being able to keep Plop yeah. Peach Blossom. No, that, so was, that was good. Cute. I do want to give a special shout out for animal friendship to um, Sergeant Izeko's horse, who is named Dragonfly, and that just <laughs> speaks to me of a very deep friendship. So I'm Aww. giving it um, a 10 out of 10 for that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Wow, that didn't sound like the lead up to a 10 out of 10. <laughs> the horse's name is Dragonfly. That's the best name I've ever heard. Dragonflies are little, horses are big. <laughs> this is bulletproof logic. <laughs> I, can, I can rate how I want. It's true, you can't. There are no rules. <laughs> who um, would you recommend this book to? Same as first test. Um, anybody who wants to read these books should read these books. Anybody who's looking for a book recommendation, I would absolutely yes. recommend this book to. All right, someone else go. Okay, I'll go. Um, yeah, I like. I'm wondering if I should leave some room for nostalgia for Squire and Lady Knight because I feel like those are my top. But like, also, I felt so much nostalgia for this book. I'm just gonna give it a ten out of ten. They can all be ten out of tens. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. There's so much banter and friendship. Yeah, and Animal Friendship, I, yeah, I'm not the biggest Jump fan ever, but there was good Peach Blossom content, so maybe 8 out of 10 on that one. It's it's a really good book, you guys. Mm-hmm. I really love it a lot. Um, yeah, I would say I recommend it to anyone who wants to read good fantasy, but especially to, you know, elementary and middle school age kids. I think there's some you know, slightly questionable stuff in there, but also it's way better than the majority of fantasy on the market. So (laughs) just kids of every gender who would like to read a book should read this book. Um, Someone else go. I don't remember this book, so I feel like I can't really (laughs) rate it on a nostalgia scale. So maybe I'm just going to skip right over that one. I mean, Amy usually picks her own rating system. You could do that. That was sweet. I'm going to rate this on like, how good Cal gets at a lance, and I'm gonna read it 10 out of 10. <laughs> how good so Cal good is at lance. Of, of lance. Yeah. I really feel like, like 
like I have this big super big memory slash gut feeling that soon she's gonna like get to be super cool with the lance everything's gonna be like you're so good at the lance and I'm really looking forward to that moment Kel really does honestly make me want to like use a lance which I don't think I would be good at and I also probably wouldn't enjoy it in real life but she just makes it look so awesome it sounds like it hurts a lot anyway this is off topic what are your ratings um 10 for how good Kel is at lance um animal friendship I guess I have to write this on a non-Dane book scale because otherwise everything would just be really small because animals. I think I'd probably also go for an 8 out of 10. Like, it's pretty good, but it could be more good. I mean, Jump is a very good dog. And I'm a cat person, but I also love every animal so much. And Jump (laughs) is a very good dog. Good, good dog. We didn't even really mention the sparrows, but the sparrows are also good in this book. The sparrows are also good. But I think... I think moment last book, but they're Mm -hmm. still good. I think there's room to grow in the animal dimensions, and I'm hopeful that even more animal friends will show up in the next <laughs> few books. So I'm leaving that those two points for more animals. And yeah, I would recommend this to everybody, including my past self, who apparently didn't care for it that much. <laughs> Read it again, past Kelly. Read it again. Uh-huh. I would give this book 10 out of 10 nostalgia. There were aspects that were kind of difficult to reread, but like for me, that just takes it, again, of using the, the fake or the fake rationalization that it takes it from a 12 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10 (laughs) i really enjoyed this book um i have really good memories of reading it like i don't know i enjoyed reading it a lot um it makes me happy looking at the like cover makes me happy because i like this book so much um and uh animal friendship 10 out of 10 i love how jump is such an ugly dog and everybody (laughs) who meets him is just like that's a real ugly dog which reminds me of how Everyone who meets my cat is like, that's huge. (laughs) (laughs) Except Fig is a very handsome cat. He is a beautiful boy. Everybody, my brother did call him a monster, but he's much bigger than my brother's cat. Um, And um, I would recommend this book to anyone. I've recommended it to a lot of people in my life, and I will continue to do so. And I think people should read it, and especially kids. I think this is mm-hmm. a great series for kids to read. We didn't talk that much about, like, the values that it imparts, but, like, I still think those are super solid. I love books that help kids uh, mm-hmm. learn to value hard work because I'm a Hufflepuff. Um. <laughs> I'm a Hufflepuff! <laughs> are we all Hufflepuffs except for Abby, yeah. who's, like, kind well, of a Hufflepuff? I'm half a Hufflepuff, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise that as a we have all read books besides Harry Potter. It's just a cultural touchstone. Next, we're going to do palace gossip. And first, I just wanted to really quickly touch on actually a related point, which is I saw a couple, I have references, but I've seen a couple of people ask about book recommendations or what else Mm -hmm. we read or whatever. We actually, both Gus and I have posts up on our Tumblr, although I did just re-reference mine and realized that I put it up before I read uh, like my favorite book of all time so I might have to go back and um, edit it but yeah um, yeah we... I also totally wrote one and then didn't put it up so if I can find that I'll put it up too yeah so that's definitely something that we're doing and we also um, I'm sure would be happy to talk to people if you tweet us and you say I'm looking for a book like this we can talk to you about it because mm-hmm. um, you know mm-hmm. it's a good way to find community around like science fiction and fantasy books for, yeah and like, a similar... ask on, like if you ask on yeah. our twitter like we have People who follow us who, like, work in bookstores and stuff and who listen to this show, um, they'll have great recommendations. Yeah, we'll retweet you and and our followers have good recs, yeah. So that's a fun thing. I like books as 
community building, so I just wanted to mention it. All right, so Palace Gossip, I just have a super quick uh, Tumblr ask for us, but I thought it was a really fun thing to talk about. So this is from Tumblr user at the Lincyclopedia. Um, and I believe they emailed us as well, but I have the Tumblr ask here. And they said, I just listened to your first Cal episode and really enjoyed it. I just wanted to say that I interpret Cal as gender fluid due to her boy clothes during the day slash girl clothes in the evening thing. I know you can also interpret this as a practicality thing, but I think the gender implications might be worth exploring. Uh, anyway, thanks for doing the podcast. Uh, thank you for writing in. I think that's a great interpretation. I really like yeah. it. Yeah. We are very ready for most queer headcanons. <laughs> All of them. Yeah. readings. Yeah. And also just like, you know, headcanons. They're for yourself. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes they're for the internet and the friends you share them with. And that's great. Yeah. But, right. you know, first and foremost, headcanons. They're for you. Right. Yeah. And reading books the way that makes them the best for you is like the best way to read them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. Kel is like, as a, as a, as a character, Kel's like... You know, the, the, the way that she does, like, focus on, um, occasionally focus on, like, clothes as uh, a way of expressing herself and a way of, like, being kind of, you know, upfront about and in your face about uh, her gender. Yeah, she is, uses like, them as, like, a tool and a statement, which is yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's really yeah. relatable and, like, was a really cool mm-hmm. thing for me to see as a kid. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I really relate to the way Kel does gender expression, which is great i really I, I feel like we just all relate to kel a lot <laughs> in a lot of yeah. different ways mm-hmm. right yeah and i think um a gender fluid reading like has a lot of support in the text which is uh, mm-hmm. a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah it's a good headcanon there are lots of good headcanons out there thank you for your so headcanon it was wonderful to read yeah <laughs> we're always open for stuff like that um as evidenced by the way we keep referencing like things that people tweet or whatever and being like isn't that a better way to read this book Um, (laughs) we love that all right and so then i just have some thank yous so on tumblr some people have interacted with us this is a very non-exhaustive list i don't really know how to work tumblr at all tumblr is a bad website sorry guys (laughs) yeah and i am a person who does not know how to work that website so but you know it's kind of like it's um sort of a a luck of the draw situation if I saw your (laughs) name when I tried to uh, reference Tumblr. Uh, So thanks. The Lincyclopedia. Saxophonist extraordinaire. The aliens believe in you too. Alexucal. Fairy tale on fire. Roses and railways. And Jeanne the poet for interacting with us on Tumblr. And probably so many other people. I really don't understand how that (laughs) site works. Um... (laughs) And also, I wanted to thank some iTunes reviewers, because we haven't done that in a while, and it's um, a really good way to support our podcast, and that's Gretel M., Arinky Lee, uh, Babe Truther, Luxagust, <laughs> Saxophones Are Cool, and something I'm not going to pr- try to pronounce, but it's spelled K-N-G-H-T-E-T. Okay. Uh, so thanks all of those people you're great we appreciate you if you also want to possibly get thanked on the podcast (laughs) if you really um, want to get thanked on the podcast like email us and say like hey i love your show and i'll be like i love you Um, and then i'll mention you on the podcast (laughs) so right you can email us at tortellrecall at gmail.com you can tweet at us at tortellrecall 
Tumblr in our direction at <laughs> tortellrecall.tumblr.com. Um, rate and review us on iTunes. We're Tortell Recall, obviously. <laughs> or like any other platform that you want to rate us on. We appreciate it. We have a Patreon. It's Tortell Recall. And we are currently hosting voting, I assume, depending on when mm-hmm. this goes up, about Probably. our upcoming bonus episode. Um, that'll be audience-selected topic. So in the past, we've read a different book that's not by Tamara Pierce, but I'm sure we're open to other options as mm-hmm. well. We'll definitely at least be open to like watching a movie or something, if that's something you want to recommend. Mm-hmm. Listening to a podcast, mm-hmm. uh, other things. So um, that's an exciting way for you to get involved and make us talk about something that you want us to talk about. So you can find that on our Patreon. Yep, that's patreon.com slash recall and the bonus episode will get out will go out on our general feed but we also have a lot of bonus episodes that are just accessible for, for patrons and voting will be only for patrons so mm-hmm. um that's kind of what's going on there we put up some fun outtakes but we still haven't put out the outtake that i desperately want to hear I'm so what's it. that outtake abby it's uh some good fan fiction oh. about storm wings and i, think- I really I'm going. I'm, just, I'm going to get it edited, and when I do, that's going out to all of our patrons, not just the three dollar level ones. Okay, everyone needs to very hear that. exciting. Everyone, everyone needs, needs to hear it, it and I feel it's a really, really good motivator for people to like maybe check out our three dollar level stuff because it mm-hmm. is it's from one of our bonus episodes, um, which are nice. generally a lot sillier than our normal episodes. Right. Yes, um, and has fan fiction about Rikash being on the PTA for Mora of Dunlap. <laughs> What is not to love? Okay. Hey, more yeah. of Dunlath is in this book. We didn't talk about oh, that. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Um, it was just like a little check-in with the wolf speaker crew. Um, anyway, yeah, there were some the wolves. Podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to thank the concept of wolves and also our music, which is Green Sleeves by <laughs> Zeta. Um, find it on SoundCloud. And do we do anything else? Our bonus music is Crunk Night by... Oh Craig yeah. Oh, do we, we don't really normally do that on this podcast. No, we don't. Fun. I try to when too I remember. Much podcast. Never... Stop talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but look up that song though, because Crunk it's Night so is good. great music. <laughs> See you, Tortellini. Everybody, stop your recording. <laughs> Fine. Okay. <laughs>